time for another episode of Dice and Dachshunds. I'm Matthew. And I'm Diana. And we have Mikey and Buddy the Dachshunds here. Today we're going to be talking about, as usual, two games. I'm going to be talking about Favor of the Pharaoh. And I'm going to be talking about City of Iron. We have a new microphone that I think will hopefully improve things considerably. So let's get started. Favor of the Pharaoh is a dice game about rising through the ranks of ancient Egyptian society to eventually gather the favor of the Pharaoh. Between two and four people can play it, and it's essentially a very complex variant of Yahtzee, where each turn you're rolling first three dice, um, and then more dice of various types over the course of the game, and selecting them to make various sets, like a, a pair of sixes or two sixes and three twos as you go on and get more dice and so on. Each combination of dice that you collect, you can then trade in for a tile, which represents gathering influence with a particular member of the court, from a worker to a general to an entertainer to a priest, and that tile will either give you extra dice or the abilities to manipulate dice on subsequent turns. So you each take turns rolling your dice and collecting a tile a turn maximum. And then at some point, somebody will get enough dice and will roll well enough and use their abilities well enough to pick up the queen tile. And at that point, with the queen tile, they get a little pharaoh meeple that represents that they have the favor of the pharaoh. That takes the game into its last round. They record the number and value of dice that they collected, so say seven sixes, and then each of the remaining players has to try and beat that number, either by getting more of the same number, so eight threes, or getting the same number at a higher value. These are all six-sided dice, so they couldn't go higher than six. But say somebody originally rolled seven twos, I could beat them either with eight twos or with seven threes, for example. If somebody takes that meeple away from them, when it comes back around to them, they have one last chance to take it back by rolling again and trying to beat whatever the current high score is. And whoever gets it at the end of that point is the winner of the game. I think Matthew explained how to play it pretty well. One of the nice things about it is that it isn't terribly complicated. You roll your dice, and then you look at your dice and look at whatever abilities you've collected that let you alter them and decide what tile you're going to go for. And then you do the next one and the next one. The longer you play before you go for the queen card, the more dice you'll be able to get, the more manipulation abilities you can get, and thus the better chance of beating somebody else out for it. But of course, the longer you wait, the better the chance someone else is going to go first, and they might roll a bunch of sixes and, and shut you out. It's got some fun strategy enough to make my brain happy without making it hurt, which, you know, is always kind of a nice balance. It's not very thematic. You know, you could be doing anything. There's nothing Egyptian about rolling a bunch of six-sided dice and picking up tiles and rolling more dice. The art's not bad. It's sufficient to the task. 
Basically, there's sort of just enough theme that you're not actually playing Yahtzee, but it's it's a fun, light game. Doesn't take too long to play. We played two rounds in, I don't know, how long did it take? 50 minutes? Something like that. And we were learning, so it, the second one was probably much quicker. There's some tiles always played, like the queen tile, and then some tiles that are changed out that are different, so you keep it fresh over multiple playings. So it was fun. Diana's not kidding when she talks about there not being much theme to this game. In fact, Favor the Pharaoh is a re-implementation and further improvement upon an earlier game by the same designer called To Court the King, which was about rolling combinations of dice to work your way up through a court in the European medieval kingdom. This is not meant as a sequel. It's kind of a, a revised new version that's been rethemed. There's not a lot of theme to this one. When you lock your dice in a series of rolls, you put them in a little cardboard pyramid shape on the table. The the favor of the pharaoh icon sort of looks like a pharaoh, and each tile has a picture of a member of an Egyptian court. So this is not a game that you play for the theme, but it is a lot of fun. And as she said... The tiles get swapped out between games. In fact, I'd say about 95% of the tiles could conceivably get swapped from game to game. There's a system in the box for rolling dice to set up the different target goals for different tiles and which tiles you get by achieving those goals. But they've actually also released a very simple free app that randomly generates a tableau of tiles for your game, which is very quick and very easy. I love dice games like this because it's a different sort of strategy. Rather than planning out ahead of time on a large scale and gathering resources to achieve some sort of plan, it's more what you do with what you've been given on a specific turn. You look at your first roll and you decide what you're going to save and what you're going to manipulate and what you're going to re-roll. And I really enjoy that. And the breadth of different tiles with different abilities means that the game can be quite different every time. I've played it three times now with the recommended beginner setup set of tiles. And there are four or five custom dice that are unique. Their own unique mechanics associated with them that we haven't even tried yet. So there really is a lot of variability built into the game. You should check it out. So the other game that we're going to talk about today, the one that I'm doing the intro for, is City of Iron, 2nd Edition, which is not especially light or quick, but it also makes my brain happy. It is a kind of a light deck builder with a building mechanic, like you're buying buildings to build in your city, and those buildings are giving you resources, and the victory points are based on how many resources you can get, how many different kinds of resources you can get, and how many of them you can get. And some, of course, are easier to get than others. The conceit is that each player is playing as a different fantasy race, or rather humans and three fantasy races, which are one that's basically elves, and the toadmen and the pigmen, or boar. Why toads and boar? We're not sure, but 
it's really cool, and I have a soft spot in my heart for toads, because they usually, you know, if there's going to be amphibian people, they're frog people. So, you know, I like that there's toad people. And you have your capital city, which is in a certain kind of landform, like a swamp or mountains. And some of the buildings can only be built in certain landforms. And so once you've gotten a nice start in your city, you're going to want to go out and conquer someplace else so that you can start building on that one, both because it gives you more room than your city and because it will hopefully give you a, some different kinds of landforms so you can build kinds of buildings that you weren't able to before. Every round you have a chance to buy cards from a, uh, you have a starting deck and then you add to that and the cards help give you the, the money and such that you need to build the buildings, and then the buildings give you the resources. The art is gorgeous, and the theme is very kind of steampunky, and you, you really sort of feel like you're building your little city and trying to corner the market on sheep. They're not called sheep, but they're sheep. And then trying to angle your way into the more rare blue crystals and, and other fantasy resources. We've only played it once so far. It is a little bit of an undertaking. It's not an especially quick game, especially when you're learning. have to look back at the rules all the time because there's a lot of rules. There's a bunch of different phases and then there's this, you know, so many rounds. And But it was a lot of fun. I've resigned myself to never being allowed to play the Toad People. It's, you can play the Toad People if you really want sometime. It's my game. It's our game. <laughs> anyway, uh, City of Iron is a great game. This is a production of Red Raven Games, and the same fella does all the artwork, does all the design, and is actually the head of the company. So it's very unique. I really like City of Iron. The art, as Diana said, is gorgeous. It's very lush. It's got a lot of personality. Each faction of the four you have to choose from has a slightly different deck. I would have liked to see a lot more variation between the factions in terms of what they can add to their deck. Now, the first edition had an expansion a little bit of it got rolled into the second edition base game, but I'm hoping that he's going to redo that expansion and hopefully add more cards that make the pigmen play very differently from the toads. You're only ever going to end the game probably with a, a deck of, I don't know, 15 cards. So it's not about building a lot of complicated combos. It's more about managing the resources in your empire as represented by this deck. It's really great. You should check it out. Well, as some of you know, Matthew's birthday is this week, and we just... Happy birthday, Matthew! And uh, we celebrated this past Saturday. He, of course, got some presents, and being Matthew, uh, several of them were board games. So now we have even more board games that we're looking forward to learning how to play. The one that I was going to talk about that I'm most interested in is Mysterium. It apparently has had a great deal of hype around it. It's a cooperative game in which one of the players is a ghost, and the other players are psychic investigators who are trying to find out 
whodunit and where and with what, like in Clue, from the ghost who knows but can't talk and can only communicate to them in dreams, or rather using cards, sort of like Dixit, which I also have not played. But the ghost, the player playing the ghost, has a bunch of cards, and they show them to the players in hopes of nudging them toward the correct decision. It just, it sounds like a lot of fun, kind of a clue smashed up with charades. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, is it my turn? I was too busy being mortified at being called out on my birthday. Uh, <laughs> so Happy birthday! Oh, dear. So Mysterium, the, the dream cards that she's talking about are these big, large format cards with beautiful... Uh, illustrated or painted pictures on them that are dream sequences, basically. Visions you would see in a dream, very odd, very bizarre, not necessarily creepy, but otherworldly. The ghost is going to be selecting from a limited hand of these ones to give to each psychic investigator in an attempt to communicate who they should be looking at or where they should be looking or what object could be the murder weapon. And of course, none of these things have a direct correlation. You don't give somebody a card of a guy with a beard on his face to say, you should really be looking at the dude with the beard. It's more, here's a picture of somebody flying through the sky on a winged bicycle that I think will somehow make you think that you should be looking at the guy with the beard. We haven't played it yet, but I'm also very curious to see how that plays out and how much Diana is going to be gesticulating as she discovers that we're not on the same wavelength. And, <laughs> but she's not allowed to actually say, you morons, it's the dude with the beard. Well, apparently I'm not allowed to gesticulate if I'm playing the ghost. Hmm. The game that I'm looking forward to learning next to continue with the theme of the occult is probably Elder Sign, which is the dice game version of Arkham Horror, which is one of the first games that we got back in the day and is a lot of fun. It's aged a bit. It's a little overcomplicated. And it can be really mean when it comes to difficulty. And it takes up a massive table. And a lot of time. Yeah. But it, it it's fun. It's fun. And I'm really curious to see how well Elder Sign distilled that down into something that I might be more interested in playing on a more regular basis. Well, I think that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Mikey says goodbye. <laughs> She's holding him in front of the microphone right now. I. He doesn't seem to have much to say. No, other than put me down off the table because <laughs> I want to go back to sleep in your lap. Oh. All right. Well, thanks as always for listening, folks. You can reach out to us with questions, comments, or concerns to diceanddoxons at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And... Have fun gaming. <laughs>